Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello and welcome to another season of uh, Wisdom of Friends show. I'm your host, Cal Aras, and today I'm super excited and delighted to be introducing you to Lena Taylor. Lena has never stopped, stepped away from a challenge and inspires others to face the impossible and experience unprecedented success. At just age 14, growing up in communist Bulgaria, she realized that her future lay in earning a scholarship to an American university. Undeterred by the overwhelming political and social challenges, Lena pioneered a way for countless other student-athletes to achieve the same dream. After graduating as an academic All-American with a degree in biology, Lena turned to beach volleyball in pursuit of her Olympic dream. In a few months, Lena climbed from the bottom of the ranking to represent her home country at the Olympics. Lena and her sister played at both Sydney in 2000 and Athens in 2004. Friends, uh, this is a fascinating conversation with Lena Taylor, uh, an Olympian who shares her playbook at winning at life and in career and in your game in the world. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Lena Taylor. So good morning, uh, Lena. Welcome to uh, Season 10 of uh, Wisdom of Friends Show. I'm really excited and delighted that you took the time to be on this program. You are a champion, you're an Olympian, and you have an incredible story to tell. And I know having you on the show is going to benefit my audience greatly. They're going to love listening to your story. So without further ado, uh, let's begin. Uh, a welcome to the show. And uh, one of the ways, Lena, we kick off our show is by asking our guests a simple yet profound question. And that is, what's your favorite quotation or philosophy uh, that you live by? And how have you applied it to your life? Yeah. Well, Cal, um, first of all, I'm so excited to be here today. Um, really great seeing you again. And I'm, I'm just uh, thrilled. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. There's a couple uh, great benefits of you giving me this opportunity is obviously to talk to you and to share wisdom with with friends. But the other one that's kind of like an internal um, benefit that I'm experiencing a free morning without my husband and my three kids. <laughs> so this was the perfect excuse to kind of steal away an hour for myself. So thank you for that again. And um, one of my favorite sayings from ever since I was a child, believe it or not, we used to read a lot of uh, the Greek philosophers. Um, I grew up in Bulgaria and it was uh, excellence is not an act, but a habit. And I started First, kind of seeing the glimpses of that through sports, you know, being an athlete, starting to play volleyball at eight years old, um, very, you know, wanting to be as good as I could possibly be, wanting to be what we call, you know, the best or wanting to perform at a high level. I realized that I have to do 
the best that I can do over and over and over again until I don't have to think about it anymore and I just perform. So excellence is not an act. It's not something that you do once, but you do it over and it's you. It becomes you and then it becomes a habit. And so it happens automatically. No, I love that. And and I think, uh, I think I believe it was Aristotle who said uh, it's, uh, you know, excellence is not an act, but it's an habit. And you're absolutely right. And it's evident from your accomplishments, you know, just for the benefit of the audience. Lena's athletic accomplishment include competing in two Olympics, four collegiate conference championships, and four youth national championships, and much more. And we'll get into that as we talk more. But what I'm curious about, Lena, is what was it growing up in Bulgaria? And what was your childhood like? And and in other words, who are your influences growing up? And how did that shape your life? Mm-hmm. It's a great question, you know, because I did grow up in Bulgaria while it was still a communist country. Um, add that to a culture that has a very unique way of thinking in some ways. Uh, even by the simple example, I'll give you a fun fact. So in Bulgaria, we're, if not the only country in the world that says yes by shaking your head up and down, actually says no by shaking your head up and down and says, yes, see, I'm confused myself now. So, so even just this thing alone, you know, I, I realized how unconventional my upbringing was when I came to the United States at 17 years old by myself. Um, I started realizing, okay, some of the things that I've been taking for granted, you know, growing up in communism, growing up, um, just being brought up in a completely different system I have to rethink, and it opened my eyes to many different perspectives. Um, It also helps me today because, you know, even though I've lived now in the United States a lot longer than I have lived in Bulgaria, I still have that different perspective, different way of seeing things, kind of turning things upside down and seeing if I can look at it in a different way. So growing up in Bulgaria... Gosh, you know, I felt that my childhood was a really happy childhood. I had, you know, wonderful parents that were really supportive. Um, They were probably even overconfident of my abilities sometimes, you know, but they infused me with this confidence that I can do anything. So one funny story is um, we were rebuilding our house when I was six years old. And, and, And the way you did it in Bulgaria was just with family and friends. You know, my dad would just call all his friends on a weekend to come over and they have to lay the foundation. And now they have to, you know, the next weekend we have to wait and they have to build the walls. But it was all family and friends and just scrapping together everything that you possibly could. And so one Saturday, it was a really hot summer day. My mom's in the kitchen cooking food for all the people that have showed up to help us build our house. And uh, we've run out of beer. You know, lo and behold, the workers don't have any beer. So <laughs> they look at, you know, my dad's busy. You know, they can't stop work. My mom's busy. They can't stop work. I'm six years old. My mom just hands me, you know, $5 or whatever it was. Says, you go to the store and you buy beer and bring it back. Well, the store was like 20 minutes away walking. And I had to cross this big street. But that's the kind of confidence that, you know, my parents gave me. So at 17... When I made the decision to come to the United States by myself and start, you know, a life from scratch with maybe like $200 in my pocket, um, I believed in my abilities and that's where it came from. No, that's that's really great. And 
one of the things that you mentioned uh, that really uh, stood out for me is, you know, having experienced uh, Eastern European culture for most part of your early childhood and then coming to the uh, U.S. around 17. So, you know, you said you're, you still utilize the ability to look at situations from a different perspective, and that gives you a strength, if you will, because not many people have that uh, different way of looking at things. And, you know, it, it kind of like helps you with a paradigm shift, I would assume. So do you, can you think of any examples where you've encountered a situation where it just helped you look at it from where you leveraged your experience uh, from growing up or the Eastern European culture, if you will? Yes. And um, so I don't know how much of a cultural phenomenon it is, but I have something that just popped right into my mind um, that I, I did experience in Bulgaria. And then it happened, a similar situation happened later on. And I was able to, um, to have a completely different response. So I'll, I'll give you the, I'll give you the story. So I came to the United States at 17, finished college at 21, um, graduated from the University of Idaho with a degree in biology, and then I moved to San Diego, but had a job at a vitamin company coming out of college. And it was wonderful to have a job, you know, because money was really tight. So I was feeling really grateful, but my heart wasn't in it. You know, it was a corporate job, um, the whole eight to five suiting up. And I was young, I was 21 years old. So uh, little by little, I started playing beach volleyball. You know, I was living in, at Mission Beach and then um, had that audacious dream of maybe going and playing in the Olympic Games. Um, so I would wake up really early before work, go train as much as I could, come home. First thing I do is, you know, use the hours of um, the afternoon to do a little more training. And little by little, I started playing in tournaments. So my company, they were very um, proud of me, you know, because I was trying to do something different. And and so when we had people come and visit, they would always say, okay, here's our, you know, athlete. She's trying to qualify for the Olympics. And, and the feeling was mutual. You know, I was very grateful for the work that they'd given me because I wasn't making any money at volleyball at the time. I wasn't very good. And then also, you know, that, that was something unique, you know, that not everybody has even the opportunity to to try something like that. But then the time came when I had to start competing in tournaments and I had this big overseas trip that, you know, we had borrowed money to go uh, play in these international tournaments to earn points to qualify for the Olympics. And, and um, when it was time to take the time off work, that my boss said, you know, you don't have any vacation time left. And I always kind of thought they'll give me the time that I need, you know, for the, for the competitions. And I didn't want him to worry. I said, I know um, I don't have vacation time left, but I want, I have to go and pursue this, um, you know, take this chance and, and try to get these points for the Olympics. Um, so I left and I real, realizing that I may, you know, that may strain my relationships at work. Well, not only did it strain my relationships at work, but while I was overseas, I got a, um, an email from my friend at work and she said, they fired you. Mm. she said, you don't have a job to come back to. So I don't know what you're going to do, but they fired you. Um, and it was, the news was devastating because it was also on top of 
uh, us not qualifying in any of the tournaments. I mean, we did terrible. We didn't know what if we were way in over our heads. You know, people had coaches and training and many years of experience. And so we just completely bombed. It was, it was beyond bad. We had to even sleep on the streets a couple of nights because we didn't have enough money for a hotel. And so I'm just going like, what am I doing? I dragged my little sister, you know, to come with me and play and try to follow this crazy dream. I just lost my job. I had borrowed money to go, um, you know, to go on these competitions. And now I don't even have a job to come back to. And so I sat there, you know, I came home and I sat there. It was Sunday night and I was thinking, gosh, you know, what am I going to do the next day, Monday? And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go to my job. I'm going to go and face, you know, face this thing that I created. And um, if my boss says, you know, what are you doing here? Take your things and go. And I'll just, you know, put my tail between my legs and go home. So face the humiliation, if you will. But um, I just, I wanted to hear it for myself. And I remembered another time when the same exact thing happened. And I was 16 years old and I had just gotten to play at the elite level uh, team in my club in Bulgaria. And this was basically the track that you get on to become a professional athlete. Well, we got a new coach, you know, at that team. And the new coach didn't think that I had a place on the team. So she told our captain to tell me, you're off the team. So I, a captain tells me that one night. And, and she said, the next morning, you have to go to this different practice, basically just relegating me to a completely different destiny. And I felt the same kind of devastation, you know, when your heart just drops down because you see all of your dreams just crashing down in one instance. As a 16-year-old, the way I processed that was, you know, I went home, I cried my eyes out. I didn't even tell my parents because just thinking about saying those words, like I've been cut from the team, would just make it even more real. And I went to bed thinking, I'm going to die. Like, this is just my life just ended. Well, of course, I woke up the next morning and I had that same kind of thing. I'm sitting at the edge of my bed and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I said, okay, if I'm awake, there has to be a different way. I'm going to go and face my coach and if face the humiliation of getting, you know, getting kicked out again. But I'll do that before I give up on my dream. So the same thing that happened in Bulgaria, you know, when I'm 16, now it's happening again. I'm facing, you know, my boss. He's like, what are you doing here? Didn't you hear we fired you? I said, well, I'm coming to hear it for myself. And uh, just to cut the story short, I lined up with my teammates when I'm 16. I lined up. The coach comes and looks at each one of us stays in front of me for a long time. I'm not saying a word. We're just communicating with our eyes. And she keeps going. She doesn't kick me out again. I think what she saw in that moment was something that stayed with me and probably became a part of my character and kind of exemplified who I really am. She said she saw, I think, that I'm not going to quit you know, that she said the no quit. I won't quit you. I won't quit me. I won't quit my dream. I'm not going to quit. And I think she decided to give me a second chance because that's the kind of person maybe she wanted to see on the team. By the end of the year, I become a starter on that team. My boss, you know, that many years later in America, different circumstances, but he sees that same quality. I think that it, I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do to do this. So he says, okay, 
we're going to put you on probation. You're going to have to follow these strict hours and all these strict rules. You can have your job, but we're basically standing behind you. And, um, you know, I told my husband when we first met those stories and he looks at me and he goes, oh my gosh, he must be a nightmare to break up with. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. This is great, Lena, because, uh, you know, it's like just what comes to mind listening to those two stories is there is a common thread to it. And that's a thread of uh, persistence, perseverance, courage. And I say courage because... It's one thing to accept it and like say I'm going to move on and uh, try and try something different and like, you know, use all that as a fuel and go. But to go and confront it, you know, that takes a whole other set of, you know, uh, heart and uh, able to accept the consequences of humiliation, as you said. You chose to go that route because I think that is that is very unique and I don't think people, a lot of people do that or don't have the guts to do that. And I think that's something incredible. It's in all the power to you, because I think there's no wonder with that kind of uh, passion for persistence and excellence and, you know, just courage, uh, you know, your record speaks for itself. And, and one thing that I also can say is that no matter what field you get into, be it now as a, a public speaker or as a coach, you know, uh, people who work with you are going to experience that kind of excellence, which is at the Olympian levels. And uh, and we'll get into more of that. But one question I do have is uh, you and your sister have been close partners on your journey here. So tell tell us about like how did that partnership begin and why was you and your sister deciding to pair up together and not somebody else? How did that yeah, what was the story behind it? Is that even a story to that? <laughs> yeah, well, that that's that's a funny story, you know, because it's it's interesting <laughs> enough. I told you, so I, 1996, I'm sitting on my couch in the living room in Mission Beach where I lived um, with my corporate job, and on the weekend I would go out and just you know dabble in playing beach volleyball, and it was really fun, you know, it was fun, but I was nowhere near what the best players that I actually got to see in the Olympics for the first time play. And, and there, you know, then I'm, I'm going out and playing and we're trying to do the things that, you know, we just saw on TV. And one of my friends just, you know, casually mentions like, haha, wouldn't it be funny if you can go and play in the Olympics? I'm like, ha, that would be really funny. Right. Uh, but something about that comment stuck with me and, you know, put that bug in my, in my head about, and kind of reawakened the childhood dream of mine that I had about performing at the highest level. Um, and I had given up on, you know, I had to tell you, like in Bulgaria, after, after choosing to leave Bulgaria and the whole institution of how we were being trained as professional athletes and choosing to come to the United States to get an education and possibly create a better life, not just for myself, but for my family too. Um, I, I had given up on, my Olympic dream as a child to, because it wasn't possible. It wasn't possible for me to go back to Bulgaria and join the national team. Like I cut off that avenue, but now with beach volleyball, a whole new sport becoming an Olympic sport. I said, I just need one more player. I need one more player with me and maybe we have a shot. Well, my sister at the time was going to school at university of San Diego playing volleyball, indoor volleyball. And I said, Hey, you're Bulgarian. 
and you know how to play volleyball. Let's go on the beach and we'll learn this new sport of beach volleyball. Well, she hated it. You know, Cal, I mean, it's like, if you've ever played indoor volleyball and then and been really good at it, right? Collegiate level sports, national team, the whole thing. And then you go and try to play beach volleyball, which it's hard to even walk on the beach, right? And you're trying to like create something and jump out of the sand. It's really frustrating. So she was completely frustrated and, and didn't like it. The sun was too sunny and the wind was too windy and the sand was too sandy. So, <laughs> <laughs> But what I did do is I said, okay, you know, I didn't, I didn't pressure her. I said, only when you, when you want to come out and play with me. But I took her to 1997 in Los Angeles. It was the World Championships of Beach Volleyball. And I took her there to watch the competition. And she saw the players and she saw the game and how exciting it could really be if you get through that painful time, you know, period of time that it takes to learn the sport. And she got the bug too. So when we decided to commit and play and try to qualify for the Olympics, she had it in her. And I'll tell you what, she's an amazing, an amazing athlete. So in college, she was... um, a two-time first-team All-American for volleyball, which means the six best players in the entire United States. Do you know who was on that team with her? It was Misty May and Carrie Walsh. Wow. Were, you know, so my sister, Misty May, Carrie Walsh, and three other players are the top six players collegiately. And so she's a phenomenal competitor, very different style, of how we come about it than, than I am. But I knew I had somebody exceptional to work with. Um, and once she decided, you know, it was, it was just, um, there was no stopping us. <laughs> no, that, that is so great. And, 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 you know, like the other question that comes up for me is, you know, when you look back at your life up until now, like, uh, you know, you've, you probably have had many successes along the way. I mean, there is no denying that. But was there like, you know, and we all have this in our lives, you know, it could be one moment or two moments, but there are like those one or two strategic inflection points, right? When life is never the same again, you know that this is like, has taken me to a whole nother level uh, of success. Has there been a moment like that for you, like uh, in your career, in your life or your personal life, or it could be any anything? Yeah, well, I, I usually call them the quiet, you know, the quiet moments of when we create something, when we commit to something. And, and of course, you know, those times when we really get tested. So I, I told you kind of the fun part of the story with my sister and I, but, but being in, um, you know, this kind of close quarters on the court with your sibling, of course, we had our challenges too. So it wasn't all fun and games. You know, there were many times when we had to be really honest with each other, when we wanted to cry with each other. We wanted to, I I do remember one time when we were starting the year 2000 and we were ranked, we had kind of, you know, started playing in some international tournaments, maybe had four or five events um, under our belts. And then the year 2000, we started the year ranked 73rd in the world. In order to qualify for the Olympics, we had to be in the top 23 in the world. So we had to pass 50 other teams along the way that were better trained, better funded than us. Um, And I remember sitting with my sister the night before we were about to leave on this long trip overseas to play in these tournaments and asking her, so why do you think that we 
um, would qualify for the Olympics and not these 50 other teams that, you know, are more experienced that we've never beaten before. Why would we, you know, do it and, and not them? And, and she said, you know, I have no idea. And, you know, that was a moment that I still remember to this day. I remember like I took a deep breath in and I said, okay, what, what do we do? You know, we don't know how. We have no idea how we're going to get there. We know that we're going to give it everything that we have. We know we're committed, but so is everybody else. In that moment, I realized that I have to eliminate the biggest distraction, the biggest thing that would actually keep that dream away from me. And that was the rankings. You know, I can do anything about the rankings. I can do anything about moving up from 73 to 72 to 71 to 70. I couldn't go and flip the computer and, you know, change the algorithm. The only thing I could do is put my head down and do the next indicated step. So looking back, you know, that was a moment when I said, I'm not going to look at the rankings because it seems so overwhelming. It seems so out of this world that it's actually going to deter me if I'm thinking about that. It's going to not put me in the best position for myself to compete and to do what I can do. So what I can do is, you know, think about this serve that I have right in front of me, right? Think about this next pass, this next thing, and try to do that the best that I can and let the rankings happen. It was really difficult, I'm telling you. So we're, you know, one tournament's going, the other tournament's going. And of course, everybody's talking about the rankings and where they are and where, and I said, no, we're not going to look at the rankings until we're done, until there's no more that we can do and then we'll look at the rankings at the very end of the qualification. And um, I'm telling you what, that ended up being the, a, a, a great blessing that we gave ourselves because we didn't know the whole time whether we were doing good or bad. All we knew is, you know, the next match. And we lost that match. We had to go back and start over again. And what's the next thing? And this is what I share with, with people now as one of the lessons, you know, the way I frame it is this. The bigger the task the smaller your focus needs to be. Well, that's no, I like it. It's, it's yeah. really, uh, it's incredible. And, uh, and I want to get into uh, your rituals and your uh, blueprint for success that you teach and you share. And uh, one of the things that I've, you know, like I've talked to many Olympians who've become good friends of mine now. And, 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 you know, it's like, the, you know, after listening to each one of them, they have their own individuality of how they go about it. But really, there is a pattern uh, because being an engineer, being a, you know, that's something that I can notice quickly, the pattern that happens behind the scenes. And I can listen for that. I can look for that. And one of the things that I notice is like that it always starts with a commitment, like the massive obsession about accomplishing that goal. They, 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 at that point, they don't know how. But there is that vision, there is that dream, there is that passion, there is that obsession. And then it comes to like having, whether you have the distinctions or you don't have the distinctions of what is it going to take from to go from point A to point B. And that's where the coach and that, that's where having those right kind of uh, support system and structure comes into play. And then obviously uh, you do deliberate practice and get feedback and keep getting better and better and better. And I like what you said. It's like chunking it down and not thinking about the big picture and get all overwhelmed, but saying, okay, what's the next 
step or what's the next step and then focusing on the next step right and forgetting about everything else and no, i think i i totally like that and i and we'll talk more about it so so switching uh, a little bit of uh, gears here so who are your mentors growing up like whom did you look up to that inspired you to uh become an Olympian or what fascinated you about them? Because there's got to be something that created that obsession for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was five years old, so that's 1980 in Sofia, we could say it's Sofia, Bulgaria, um, the Olympic flame went by our street, you know, very close to where I lived. So remember how the torch the runners would run the torch and it would go like, maybe it goes all the way around the world. I don't know what it was, but it was for the Moscow Olympic games. And so it was passing through our capital. And I remember uh, my aunt took me to, let's go see the Olympic torch. And I, I do remember that moment. It stuck with me. You know, how many things do you remember from when you were five? But that was a moment that kind of stuck with me, just the excitement. And that was probably the first um, impression if you will, you know, of, of where the seed kind of gets planted. Then I wasn't even playing volleyball at the time, but, but then, you know, volleyball, of course, sports that become, became a part of my life. Um, it's interesting because thinking about who are my mentors, who are the people that I, that I look up to, um, I, I don't know if this is a cliche, but I have to say that my parents were probably my first inspiration. So my dad was a rower in Bulgaria, a, a professional rower. He, in fact, um, missed qualifying for the Olympics. He, he calls it by a matchstick, by this, by this much. You know, they had a photo finish to determine which boat would go to the Olympics. And I didn't know this story until we were actually in the Olympic Village. And my sister and I had decided to sign up our dad as our coach to come and join us in the Olympic Village. He wasn't um, really our technical coach. You know, he wasn't telling us what to do on the volleyball court. But we were allowed to have a coach with us in the Olympics. And we signed him up uh, to come in the village. Of course, it was kind of like a whole family celebration, kind of overcoming a lot of trials and tribulations. And, And that's when our dad told us that story of how you know, with his boat, he never held it over our heads as, as something like, oh, we're trying to make up for what our dad didn't do. He never even shared it with us. But it was just incredible to have that kind of 360, you know, come around. But what he did have, you know, and I think what I was looking up at is just the work ethic. Um, he's the kind of person that, you know, one time I remember um, I was... I was probably 28 and I locked my keys in my car. And so, of course, the first person I call is my dad. I'm like, dad, I'm so embarrassed right now, but I locked, you know, my keys in my car. Like, what should I do? Should I call AAA? Like, what? We call my dad first. Um, And he goes, well, uh, walk around the back of the car. All right, get down on one knee. Now look under this tire. Now feel, you know, under this tire. Do you feel a little plastic box kind of stuck to the inside of the car? I said, I feel it. I feel it. Was it? He said, pull it off. It's going to be hard, but just pull it off. I pull it off and it's a hide a key. You know, like he hid a key for me for that instance, you know, that will eventually probably happen or not. And, and said, I, you know, I put the key there. For, I said, but dad, why didn't you ever tell me? It's like, well, I knew you would call me. You know, if the time came, you would call me. And so 
the reliability, having somebody there, you know, to look up to, to know that they have your back. Um, my mom, even though she wasn't a professional athlete, she's more dedicated to fitness than anybody I've seen, you know, in this whole world. But, but just the consistency in that work habits and, and doing everything for the family, almost to a fault, you know, but that's the kind of family I grew up in. And, you know, that's what I try to recreate with my family. But of course, you know, you have to do it with the right person. You have to do it for the right reasons. Um, but that was really inspirational for me. And to this day, you know, I, I just look up to them and um, I learn a lot about being a mom and being a spouse from them. No, oh, it's so, so beautiful. It's very inspiring as well. So look, going back, uh, Lena, I want to ask you, like, so going from that challenge of being 73rd, and then qualifying, right? So that was like that. I'm sure that was a moment of joy and celebration. Do you recall that moment when that actually you found out, you and your sister found out that you qualified for the Olympics and this, what a journey that was? It, it was incredible. You know, I, I didn't believe it at first. You know, people were coming up to us and saying, yeah. you guys made it. Like, this was the last game of the last tournament and this is the game you needed to win and to put you over, you know, by eight points. Like so It came down to the last game. It came wow. down to the last game. It came down to the last tournament, that last game. And when wow. people were coming to congratulate us, I didn't believe it because, you know, I told you, I wasn't going to look at the rankings. So it wasn't until... I came, you know, we came to the hotel room. We were in China, like I'll never forget it. So we came to the hotel room after the game. And then I started looking at how many points did we earn in each tournament and what's going to, you know, what tournaments um, we did better than the others and this and that. I'm calculating and calculating, calculating. Called my dad. I said, did you calculate the points? He said, I did. I said, what is it? He said, you made it. <laughs> wow. 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 Uh, he was up so at, you know, weird. it's like four o'clock in the morning, but he's doing the same thing. And I, and I had told him too, it's like, do not tell us where we are in the rankings. Like we identify. So that's the, the thing, you know, that I translate these lessons into business now because that we are faced with these, um, with, with these disruptions, you know, that's a disruption, right? You, when you're doing something that's never been done before and when you're doing something that's so unconventional with so many things stacked against you, it's a disruption. And you have to identify what are the distractions and be very diligent and disciplined about avoiding the distractions. And you have to identify another thing is how do you score points? You know, obviously we, with sports, we call it points, but in business, What's the thing that makes the biggest difference for you? And I love the story um, that Jeff Bezos was sharing about Amazon in the early days when they were facing the giant of Barnes & Noble with 30,000 employees, billions in dollars in revenue. And they were just a small company, you know, with 135 employees. They were, they were about to launch their online business. And he called what he, you know, he says it was like a all hands on board meeting and asking the same kind of question of them. So how are we going to compete with this giant? They're better funded. They're better resourced. They have a lot more people. They have a lot more capital. What are we going to do as a company? And that's what they did is they identified how they scored their points, which in their case was the customer. We have to focus on the customer. We have to make sure that the customer all of their requirements are satisfied. And that's what they identified, right? 
So having clarity, identifying what scores those points for you, and the rest is history, of course, we know. One of my favorite ways to spread the message of a mission here at Wisdom of Friends is through speaking. Over the last two years, I've delivered keynotes and workshops at professional associations, small and large companies, on topics related to engineering happiness, how to boost productivity, employee engagement, and workforce stability for bottom line results, and the science of happiness and the art of fulfillment. So if you think I'll be a fit for your upcoming event and want to learn more, visit the speaking link at wisdomoffriends.net and get in touch. Again, it's the speaking link at wisdomoffriends.net. No, that's beautiful. And, and, and I'm sure it must have been like coming back, coming a full circle for your dad too, like, you know, having that aspiration. But I haven't talked about it for so long. And finally, you know, you're giving him the gift of coming to the Olympic Village as a coach and what a coach he is. I mean, some that, that's like the attribute of the best coach who can anticipate like moves five or six steps ahead and like the key end of the car. Or, <laughs> right. You know, you know that, that's, that's really like the commitment, the drive, the excellence. And as you said, your parents and no wonder, you know, and your sister, by the way, I read one of your recent tweets that she, uh, that she became a PhD graduate after all of this as well in, uh, in astrophysics. And what a brilliant mind. Huh? Can you what a reinvention, <laughs> right? From a beach volleyball player to now an astrophysicist. It's just kind of mind-blowing. But that was a 12-year journey for her. You know, that was just like it, with everybody telling her, no, nah, what is this dream becoming an astronomer? More is, you know, pick a real job. What is that thing? And we all have those moments in our lives, right? I mean, I'm sure you've had it too. And when, when, when you're trying to break the mold, when you're trying to do something new, we call it disruption, we call it transformation, you're going to have people that won't go along with it because, you know, you haven't proven yourself, you haven't done it before. And so who are you going to listen to in that moment? No, I like that. And and I want to kind of get into, uh, you know, one of the things that you do now is in addition to public speaking at the national level at corporations, you also are uh, a coach that helps people pivot or re-innovate and reinvent their careers at the highest levels, be an executive, be it a business leader, be it a professional. And I want to, and you have a specific blueprint that you use that as part of your Olympic journey that people can apply it in their individual day-to-day lives. And, and I want to get into that here for a second. But one question I do have for you is, you know, it's like if you could go back in time, right, and talk to your younger self, like, uh, I don't know, the 16-year-old Lena, what advice would you give her? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, I I um I think we all have you know the accomplishments, the things that you read about. It's the tip of the iceberg, right? It's what shows above the surface of the water. And what's below the surface of the water is two-thirds of the iceberg, right? Of all the beliefs that we have all the values, all the skills that we've learned along the way, all the lessons, all the failures, you know, I, you probably like we talk about my accomplishments, but you know, all the things like all the times that I was brought to tears and having to reinvent how I will go about this next challenge or the next thing. Um, And what I would tell myself is again, really 
Be careful about who you believe and why you do the things that you do. Basically, re-examine, re-examine, re-examine. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, because despite all of my accomplishments, there was always at an early age, right? That there was there was always this kind of um, doubt that I had about my own abilities. And it was that doubt wasn't there when I was born or when I was a little kid. That doubt, I remember the time then that, that it was introduced, you know, and the people that I believed at the time. So when I started first playing volleyball and, and I started getting coached by different people and, and some of them, you know, I would get passed over for being selected on the national team or, you know, some of the coaches were, would tell me something like, you're good now, but you're probably never going to be really good in the future. You don't really have the potential, you know, that we're looking for. Um, you're not fast enough. You're not uh, skinny enough. You're not strong enough. You're not like there was always something that I wasn't enough. And, you know, Cal, being at that kind of young age, like 12, 13, I mean, I'm sure we all have those instances in our lives where we, we actually believe some of those things. And so I did for a long time. And it was really difficult for me to overcome this, this doubt, you know, that was sown at that time that I had to, and so I kept having to prove more and more and more. Well, I became, you know, together with my sister, we were the only two players within three generations before or after us that would even step on the Olympic uh, stadium. But, but it was when I came to the States and I could get rid of all these voices in my head, you know, that I believed that were just pulling me down and were saying, you're never going to be this. You're never going to be that. You, you're not, you know, you don't have enough of this quality. And, and it was just when I could break that mold, you know, and I could say, okay. So what I would say is just go back to that time. And I would talk to myself and say, you know, is this really true? You don't have to believe that person um, and believe in yourself, you know, find, find that true self. Because, you know, sometimes you spend a lot of time trying to prove them wrong so that's not really your path either, right? If you're just trying to prove them wrong. So I think it just takes that kind of um, always cultivating that emotional intelligence, that introspection, that kind of reflection that it's very difficult sometimes to do. Um, I agree. No, yeah. I totally agree. And, and you know, I've, I've, there, there's been like the first half of my life. I mean, I've lived my life to prove wrong, prove someone mm. else wrong. And mm. like I've been driven by that. Mm-hmm. And and I had the misconception that it was a good thing because it was giving me the fuel and the energy. But at the end of the journey, you still feel depleted because that wasn't really your journey. You know, exactly. you're not living your truth, and and it's a realization that sometimes takes uh, a long time to come to. And I'm mm-hmm. glad and fortunate that <laughs> you know there was a, there was a moment in my life where I had to like re-examine, as you said. That's such a beautiful word because. I think we gotta like question our beliefs, question our uh, paradigms, and you know, look at having a growth mindset uh, just yeah. to kind of like keep elevating our game. And I, I totally like that. So uh, let's talk about uh, you know your current uh, passion, which is coaching and professional speaking. So let's get into coaching. Your five 
point blue five guiding principles of achievement so uh, i know you've shared that slide with me i've seen that it's just beautiful so do you want to walk us through like uh Sure. Sure, for sure. Well, yeah, I I call it a playbook, you know, just like in sports, we have a we have a playbook. And um, the number one thing that we kind of touched on here, but is having that clarity, you know, that clear vision of your why, why are you doing things, the things that you're doing, you know, because when the in the next few steps, you know, there's going to be a time when you get tested right? We talked about, you're going to get tested. You're either, you're going to get fired from your job. You're going to get kicked off that team. You're going to have to sleep on the streets or, you know, like we're going to be tested if you're trying to do something very different. If you want a different result, you have to do it differently, right? So having that clarity of your why, you know, of what are the values, what are the things that are driving you, propelling you forward, and hopefully you're doing it for the right reasons, right? Um, Then, you know, creating within that clarity, within that first chapter, corporations know the importance of this, and this is why they spend so much money doing it, creating that mission statement, that those guiding principles, the values, the vision for the company, because they know how important it is that if you want to get from here to here, right, that you have to have a very clear idea of what that's going to feel like, what it's going to look like, what, you know, what are you going to be when you say you earned that million dollars or when you turn the first billion as a company? What, how are you going to be serving the people that you're serving? Who are you going to be? You know, so clarity, you can't replace it. Otherwise, you're just going to be chasing your tail the whole time around. Second thing is focus. So we talked about that too, right? Lessons from sports and how do you apply it to the real world? Having the focus, identifying your distractions, being very clear on what's not in your best interest and what you have to stop doing. So knowing what you want to do and and what you need to do, it's really important to also know what you have to stop doing so that you can break those old habits if it you know as a company or as a person whatever whatever it is it's the same process um so focus and then identifying what you're going to focus on that focus by the way is something that we choose it's not something that's dictated right by any other circumstances. It's not dictated by how much money you have. It's not dictated by somebody telling you how to do things. It's dictated by your choice. I think this is really important to understand because it gives you the power to choose your path. How are you going to respond to adversity? You know, adversity will happen. That's the, the, the third chapter. You know, how will you respond when things don't go the way that you envisioned they would go, when somebody will challenge you, you know, it's not, it's not like I could go to those other 50 teams and say, hey, can you give me your spot? I really want to play in the Olympics. Well, <laughs> guess what? They wanted the same thing, right? They're not going to say, Bar, you know, Amazon goes to Barnes & Noble. Guess what? We want your customers, you know. <laughs> so it's not going to happen. <laughs> so you're going to be challenged. You're going to be tested. How do you respond? The response Versus the react piece, you know, choosing your response, choosing where to focus. Um, The fourth chapter, we talk about 
pivoting, reinventions, knowing when it's time to let go. Okay, so not all of the investments that Warren Buffett made were turn out to be great investments. We know that, right? But we only see the very successful ones. Well, for every successful investments, he says is what he has like five or six failures or, you know, things that went down in the tank. And um, when is it time to let go? And I think that's when you go back to your clarity and to your mission and recommit. You may have to tweak things, you know, give yourself that freedom. You may have to say, well, you know, I thought that was important to me, but now upon having completed the cycle and seeing, you know, I started a cosmetics company. Had no idea about the cosmetics industry, nothing, but I was doing it because at 61, my parents got fired from their job and I wanted to help them. You know, my mom came to me crying and what are we going to do? We're 61. We can't find another job. How could this happen to us after having to reinvent themselves again in a whole new country at 46? Now, you know, they're being fired from their job to no, no fault of their own, but just, you know, circumstances. And, um, and you know, I felt compelled to start a cosmetics company, import Bulgarian rose oil into the United States, setting up offices in San Diego, New York. You know, in those quiet moments of right before I go to sleep, right when I woke up, I knew something was off. And when I gave myself permission to look at, you know, why am I doing this? I'm doing it to help my mom. Well, can I fix how my mom is feeling? You know, I can have compassion for how she's feeling. I can have, you know, I can be there for her, but I can't make it right, you know, so making the decision to shut that business down, even though I invested a lot of money into it, but, but, you know, going back to that clarity and, and having that be very clear at the beginning. So in the fifth chapter, you know, I, I call it a toolbox because there's many different things that we have to use. And, and, and I think excellence, it's not about being perfect. It's about having the perfect tool for the job. And this is why we need this toolbox. The number one tool in my toolbox, I heard from Eckhart Tolle, the way he uh, framed it was very short and succinct. And it was, watch your mind. Watch your mind. You know, what is happening in there? Because we know that all things are created twice, once in your mind and once in reality. Watch your mind. You know, what are the things? How do you take care of yourself? Um, preventing burnout, you know, surrounding yourself. I call it building a team, surrounding yourself with people that actually have your best interests in mind, not people that you like necessarily, uh, that are like you necessarily. In fact, the opposite, surround yourself with people that do things better than you in other areas where, where you, you're not so good at. Five I love it. No, this is great. Just to recap for the audience. Okay. The so we five have steps. Yeah. The five clarity. Steps. Clarity is number one. So your, your values, your mission, your vision, clarifying that. Focus, eliminating distractions, clearing the way from anything that doesn't serve you so that you can do the things that you want to do. Um, facing adversity. And how do you respond in that moment? And then number four is all about reinventing your next step, pivoting, learning, knowing when it's time to let go of something. And yeah. number five, of course, is the toolbox. That's great. That's you keep great. adding to, by the way, you know, everybody yeah. needs different tools. I can't sit there and, and tell you that I have every yes. single tool, you know, in, in this toolbox, but you keep adding things to your, your right, repertoire. Right. 
and, and 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 that's so great because you know and and that's something that I do I still go attend seminars and I still go work you know I give a lot of I lead wisdom retreats and I do workshops as well but you know one of the things I still do is I attend seminars and I take workshops and that's I, right. I keep updating my uh game it's like going to a dojo as a martial artist and practicing right I love so that I watch and one of the things I've started doing uh from a suggestion from a friend who's really really successful and is to watch interviews of sports uh celebrities before and after right it's like after they win the game and after they have lost the game just to understand the mindset and that's the only television uh, i watch and you know it's like one of the things recently i heard from lebron james was uh you know it's like no matter what's going on you know it's like he's got a hollywood uh, chapter going on and he's got all of these and he's famous but you know one of the things he said which just just stuck with me was it's like keeping the main thing the main thing mm. like controlling what i can focus on and ignoring you know what i cannot control so you much know, of what yeah. we talked about today right yeah, that's beautiful exactly exactly and that's that's that just reminds me of that excellence in this is so great uh in the interest of time we're going to switch over to our next section lena and that is the rapid fire round i'm going to ask you okay. a bunch of uh Quick questions, and it's like, what are the first response comes to your mind? So, are you ready? <laughs> I am ready. Go, go for it. Please All right. Go. So, my first question to you is, what is one thing that you can do that might surprise other people? Oh, that might surprise. I can hula hoop really good. Oh, oh no, I didn't know that. That's good. <laughs> That's good. What thing. book? Yeah. The next question is, uh, what book have you read again and again? It's been your favorite. That's been my favorite. Um, you know, when The Alchemist first came out, I read mm. that probably 10 times. <laughs> yeah. All I don't have as much are. time right now to read it as, you know, as much as I would like um, some of the other books. But that's probably one of the ones that I remember just reading it again and again and again. And that was right around the time, you know, I was going out. It just coincided with my journey so much, you know, about the year 2000. I don't know when it came out. Yeah, that's a great book. And we'll include that in the show notes as well. Now, if you could be uh, successful in another profession, what, which would you choose, Lena? Oh, my gosh. So one of my, I always joke about this, but uh, I have, uh, I love pressure and I love complexity. So I thought if I could be an air traffic controller <laughs> for a week, I think I would love that. I would love just going in and having all these different things. With the stakes are very high, right? I mean, we're talking about life and death. Or another one that I would really love, um, it takes so much schooling to do, probably not in this lifetime, in my next one is just, you know, a neurosurgeon, maybe. Just, mm. again, wow. high that's, stakes. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, there's something about those adrenaline rush. Yes, like yes. <laughs> maybe I like a rush. Rush. <laughs> So let me ask you this. What's the greatest work of art that, according to you, that you've seen or you've experienced from your travels and from anything that comes to mind? It's the first thing that comes to mind. Nature. Nature, when it's untouched, you know, when, when we don't see the buildings towering over and dominating the horizon, that really fills my heart with so much joy, my lungs with air. It just brings me to my knees uh, every single time. 
I hope that we can go back to, you know, that life of where we are just one with nature. You know, mm-hmm. I, all, I, I have this dream of having uh, cities and, 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 you know, all of kind of buildings transformed to where there's not a building taller than a tree. That's my dream. That's great. That's so great. Um, what is, you know, we talked about your toolbox and we talked about, uh, you know, all the tools you've accumulated over the years. But, you know, it's like if if there was like a single most valuable tool that you have learned, that you have mastered, that's, you, that's like your go-to tool, mm-hmm. what, what would you say would that be? You know what? It, it just came to me is just this ability to laugh at myself and my experience. I think I love comedians. They're just, that's probably another profession I would love to do. Sometimes I take myself too seriously. Sometimes I'm just like too, you know, the perfectionist in me um, takes over too much and doesn't allow for that free expression of creativity and just being in the moment. Um, But I think what laughter allows us to do is kind of have that opening you know, that opening where it doesn't have to be this way. There, there is another way of doing it and, you know, allowing ourselves to be in that open space of, I don't know how, you know, I don't know exactly what and what the next step is, but I'm here and mm-hmm. I'm committed and I'll do it. And so I think laughter, you know, is one of those things that takes you there probably in the shortest amount of time. I like it. That's great. And then uh, if you had a choice of uh, any message that you could display on a billboard, like Times Square, it's a blank billboard and you get to put any message out there, what would that be? Hmm. (sighs) The word love comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Beatles, the Beatles were my favorite group. I know you're going to ask me that too, but, you know, just love. Got it, got it. No, that's beautiful. And I could go on, but, you know, uh, we're close to uh, an hour mark here, so I'm going to, you know, respect your time. And uh, so let's uh, – I've got final three questions for you. The first one is uh, what is your current personal or business passion project that you're working on? What are you looking forward to in the next six months to a year from now? Yeah, I have a presentation coming up for um, an MBA program. And actually, the theme is transformation. Uh, so that's one of my favorite things to do is just sharing these knowledge and these lessons that I've learned along the way, giving people a different perspective of how to look at a common, you know, challenge. Um, and so it's just like I love creating those aha moments. And I love... Um, giving people just little takeaways and tools that maybe can further them a little bit in their, in their passions, in their projects. Um, so doing that type of work with organizations, you know, especially now being kind of, you know, connecting people, uh, whether it's um, working remote, you know, teams and doing presentations with them, but doing it in a different way, just giving them that different perspective. So I, I love doing that. That's what I'm working on right now. And you're great at this. I mean, you know, I've talked to you and like listened to you. It's just like, you know, people uh, highly recommend Lena, uh, Lena's coaching and her, uh, you know, if you have opportunities that you would like to bring in an Olympian speaker who inspires and motivates, you know, it's uh, highly recommend Lena Taylor here. So what are uh, three things you're grateful for in life, Lena? Yeah. 
You know, every morning I wake up and I have created this habit of before I jump out of bed, you know, just to sit there in the quiet of the morning and really focus on what am I grateful for? And, and it's a thing that I have, not a thing that I want. You know, so I'm grateful. I try to focus my thoughts in that direction to be grateful for what it is that I have. So I have my family you know, my husband, my, our three children, my parents, we have our health. I'm so grateful for that. Um, I'm really grateful that I have an opportunity to create things in my life that I know what it's like to be stuck in a place where you don't feel that you have a choice. And so I'm grateful for the choices that I have in my life. I'm grateful for the people that I have in my life um, and the experiences that we create. That's that's amazing, and uh, I want to take a moment here, uh, a couple of moments, to acknowledge you, Lena, for you know talking to you and listening to you share your life story and your journey up until this point. What I'm left with is a feeling of commitment to excellence. Like you know, that's something that is just incredible. A commitment to you know, innovate and pivot. And, uh, you know, it's like not only being dedicated to your mission, but being able to like figuring out a way to, uh, when no matter what kind of challenges, no matter what kind of obstacles comes your way, you're able to like obliterate through that and pivot and innovate. And not only that, you've taken all of the lessons you've learned, all of that experiences, and you have distilled it into this playbook that now you're helping others do it, which, uh, and you're really an inspiration, and not only to your family and friends and the community, but uh, people who have followed your journey and to, the, and to the world. So thank you for being who you are. And I know you're also passionate about environment and climate change. And, uh, you know, I didn't get a chance to ask you about that. But, you know, that's something that I know you're dedicated to as well, Uh and, you know, just service is what comes to mind. So thank you for your contribution and service to uh, humanity. Well, thank you, Cal. I really appreciate um, the time I spent with you. You know, you inspire me as well uh, because you're so thoughtful and, and you're really a great listener. You were able to just kind of get down to like what's the essence of what um, this person is saying and you extract that very well. So thank you for giving me an opportunity and, and a beautiful time spent on a Sunday morning <laughs> with you and taking a little break from the little ones, which are probably on their way back. But uh, <laughs> probably, you. Your husband's probably watching the Green Bay Packers game right now. I think that's what's going on. <laughs> oh, that, you know, he's with the kids, so he's probably wishing he was watching the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> no, that's so great. No, I appreciate the feedback, Lena. Thank you so much. It's been a joy and, uh, you know, always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, one final question, and this is how we end all our interviews, and this is, why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends? Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I think because we learn very quickly when we have people sincerely sharing knowledge from their own experience. And I think we all kind of have that innate drive to learn, um, to get better, to kind of, you know, work through our shortcomings. So. I think that's just a beautiful platform. Thank you for putting it together. Wisdom of friends. I appreciate that. For everybody listening, with that, we'll wrap it up. And if you like what you heard, please share.
Don't be shy. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Carla Rass. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to wisdomoffriends.net to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. We hope you'll pass along our web address, wisdomoffriends.net, to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section on the website for previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank Thank you. you. This has been a seven symphonies production join us next time for another edition of the wisdom of friends